I want to talk to you today um, about something that I think all of us can relate to. No matter who you are, um, no matter where you come from, um, you can relate to what I want to talk to you about today. I say, let me back up, what I believe God wants to talk to you about today. Hopefully, I don't want to talk to you about it, because if I'm talking about it, folks, it's a bo- it's, this is going to be a waste of the next 40 minutes. Um, but if God's talking, then all things are possible. There's a phrase or type of phrase that Jesus used quite uh, quite often. And I want to talk about that because there is there's a factor in all of us today that God can only do so much. And what I mean by that is is that God is not a puppet master where he's going to take control of you and he's going to do things for you. Uh, his word is very clear. He's laid out, he has mapped out the plan and things that uh, he wants us to do. He's made that very clear. Um, but those things only work if they're done and followed. You know, I am a, uh, I know this is kind of funny to admit, but uh, I still, at this time in my life, I still enjoy Lego. I know some of you are like, really? You're a grown man. You need to grow up. Well, unfortunately, I guess there's a little boy in all of us. And so I still enjoy Lego. Um, And now Lego uh, has evolved. In case you don't know what Lego is, Google it. (laughs) But Lego has evolved over the years because it's no, they still have the little stuff, the little trucks and cars you can play with that, you know, for, for kids my son's age. My son loves Lego. He's eight. But now Lego's got smarter. Now they got these really intricate, they're called Lego Creator Expert sets. I mean, these things are so intricate. It's, you know, thousands of pieces. It's like a giant puzzle, really, when you look at it. Uh, but the thing about it is, is this, is, is, is Lego comes to you, and I think a couple of sets that I have had had thousands of pieces, three or 4,000 pieces. I mean, you're not talking about, you know, just a handful. You're talking about bags and bags of different pieces. There's all the pieces that make up this set. And if I handed you all of those pieces and I said, can you build this picture? There are probably some out there that are skilled enough that given enough time and enough effort could probably do a pretty close representation of what's on the box with just the handful of pieces. I am not quite that skilled when it comes to building Lego. Um, There is a couple of pieces, a couple of things that I currently have uh, in my in my collection that are extremely intricate. They have so many internal pieces that you can't even see in a picture. There's so many intricacies inside of the making of the of the sculpture or whatever you're building that if you don't get these pieces right, the outside won't work. The inside has to be built correctly because if you don't, then the outside is not going to be what you think it is. But the beautiful part of Lego is Lego has some of the easiest instructions to follow. It's awesome because if you've never built a Lego set, Lego gives you this big, beautiful, wonderful book of instructions. And each page you turn over, there's a picture and it shows you what piece to put where. And all you've got to do to build this amazing, intricate structure is you just have to follow each page in each step. Now, I've got one particular uh, set that I have. I think it had somewhere like six, 700 different steps to complete. And you had to do each one of those steps. But I didn't have to worry about the next step or what step came before that. I just had to focus on what was it asking me to do now. Put this block here. Hook this part here. Connect this part here. If I did that and I just followed it, by the time I got done, I had this amazing, beautiful, some ways, a work of art. Some of the newer Lego sets, the expert, the adult type Lego sets are really kind of works of art. But they didn't come just because I threw a bunch of pieces together and I just did, you know, just kind of randomly went through it. They're because I followed the instructions step by step. 
That's how God operates. On one side of it, it looks like God's just a big pile of pieces. And it's awesome because you got all these amazing pieces. You're like, this is great. Yeah, love, joy, peace, happiness, you know, lungs. I got all these amazing things, these awesome pieces. But then if I put those pieces in front of me, I'm like, I don't know how they connect. I don't know how they relate. I don't know what they're supposed to look like. But then God doesn't leave us stranded. On one side of it, he has this beautiful array of, of pieces, hundreds and thousands of pieces. But on this other side... He's a God who gives very precise instructions through his word and through relationship with us. He already has a lot of instruction in his word, if you go read it. But on the other side, he has this wonderful thing of relationship where he wants to come and walk with you and talk with you and share how these pieces connect in your life. So the important thing is, is that when you're following Jesus or you're just beginning to follow Jesus... Jesus literally wants you to do the step that's in front of you. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The step, this step, what's this step? And so I want to talk to you today about something that I think we all can relate to. But I want to look at this from a framework of, okay, where is this put in my life and the framework and the piece that's put in my life? This is a page in the instruction book. This is something that we can see in the aspect of there's pieces in front of us, but It's not for me to figure out how they work. It's for me to find out and let God lead me and show me how they work. God doesn't want us to be spiritual tinkerers where we go in and we fiddle around and we create this our own creation. God has a very specific and calculated design for you and I. There is a lot of phrases in the Bible, especially in the Gospels, and we'll stick with the Gospels for a minute, that sound very similar. To the dead... In heart, Jesus says, come forth. He said that to Lazarus in John chapter 11. To the wanting, to the desiring, to the seeking in heart, Jesus says, come down. He said that to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. To those with the wandering heart who are seeking and wondering, he says, come and see. In John chapter 1, he says that. But there is something even greater that happens in Matthew chapter 11 because he speaks to those that are weary in heart. To those that are weary in heart, this is the words that Jesus says. And I'm actually going to read this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice this is in the other commands he says to the dead come forth. Meaning those who are just are stuck in your situation, you have no control, come forth, come out of that situation. For those that are seeking, for those that are wanting, come down. Come, come. You step, step down from your, your own pursuits and find, you can find me down here. To the wandering, he says, come and see. But in this particulation, he says these words, come unto me. I want to talk to you for a few moments about running to the Father. Running to the Father. This verse is so beautiful because it's such a wonderful, wide, and sweeping invitation given to us by Jesus Christ here. In fact, the framework of this is even a prayer that he's praying. He's in the middle of praying a prayer and he speaks these words. Come unto me, all you are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is such a beautiful and magnificent and wonderful promise given to us by our Lord and Savior. Come unto me, all you who are heavy, labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is such a beautiful, wonderful, magnificent invitation with such a wonderful promise. And I want you to listen over the next few minutes because I think all of us can relate to some semblance of weariness in us especially in the framework of what we're living and dealing with today. There's such a weariness that sets in on a lot of us in so many ways, but we have a heavenly father. We have a father we can run to, and that that father that we can run to is the one that can give us rest. When nothing else works, when nothing else can work, he is our source. 
I want to look at four different aspects of this verse, if you would allow me to, for the next few minutes. I want to look at who's talking. I want to talk about who the words, what, who is the audience? What are the, who are these words being spoken to? And I want to talk about what, what is the invitation? What invitation is being given? And finally, I want to look at, as we end, end this today, what's the promise? So we're going to look at who's doing the talking, who's the audience that should be listening, what is uh, the invitation, and finally, what is the promise? The first question we have to answer is who's speaking? This is the most important question we have to ask. And I know it sounds somewhat obvious, right? We're like, of course, I mean, come on. Jesus is speaking. I get that. I understand that. But this is a bigger framework than just Matthew chapter 11. Because we live in a society, we live in a world, we live with voices that are constantly asking us to come. We live in a world where we are inundated with friends or so-called friends that say, come, come to us, come hang out with us, come party with us, come be with us. We live with this constant invitation of come, 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 being pulled in so many directions. That like It's like the character Gumby, if you know what that green guy that stretches. We feel like that most of the time. We feel like we're being pulled in so many different directions. We have all that. And on top of that, the devil our adversary, our greatest enemy, is a master of the invitation. He mimics God so many times because, let's go back to the garden when he said to eat, hey, you know, come, come, eat of the fruit. Don't, don't, don't listen, don't worry about what it's going to do to you. I'm telling you what's going to do, come. The devil's constantly trying to tempt us and try to pull us away with invitations of, come, enjoy this. You deserve this. How about that, right? You deserve to be happy. You deserve to have pleasure. You deserve to be able to do what you want. Nobody should tell you what to do. Or you've been such a victim. You know what? You deserve a little bit. Why don't you come and do this? And then we live in a world that's constantly promising us, try this, come do this. Come to Orlando, to Disney World. All your dreams will come true. Until you're standing in line in July and it's three hours to shake Cinderella's hand and you're pouring sweat. You're like, I don't feel like this is the most magical place on earth. I feel like I'm literally about to pass out. We have all these invitations to come. We're being pulled in so many directions. Try this, do this, take this, have this. All full of promises. Page after page of magazines is advertisings of come. Come here, come this, do this, come. Come try this, come do this. All promising something in return for your uh, response to the invitation. Uh, years ago in 1849, there was a gold rush in California. That's where we get the term the 49ers is because there was a gold rush that took people. Come to California. You have the prospect of becoming wealthy because there is literally gold laying on the ground. You can come out here and pick up gold. You don't even have to do anything. You just pick it up. It's literally laying on the streets. You can pick it up and you will be wealthy beyond your words. And people left their homes and traveled all the way across the country in, in horrible conditions. Many of them dying in the attempt to get across the country to go to this gold gold rushes that were out west and only to get there to find out that what they read in a newspaper or what they saw advertised or what they were told really was far from the truth. There wasn't gold laying on the streets. In fact, the gold took a lot of effort and a lot of toil and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, heavy burden to get out of the ground or even to find many ended up bankrupt, dead, desolate. Many ended up homeless because they listened to a promise that could not be fulfilled. But when I read this scripture, the first thing I've got to ask myself is, where's the source? Who's talking? And the source is coming from none other than Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. This promise is not coming from somebody who's just off a whim saying, come to me, hey, come. This is not given to us by a politician that's promising us that if you vote for me, all your life will be changed because if you vote for me, I'm your guy. I'm going to get it all done. When we've had that promise to us a thousand times, and let's be honest, it's still the same answer every time. 
This is not coming from somebody that maybe you grew up with, a parent that promised you things that never came through. Maybe you were promised one thing, but you were given something else. And so we're reluctant to listen to the words of a promise or listen to the words of invitation because our own experience limits us or or imprisons us from being able to step out because we're afraid there's another time we're going to step out and be let down. How many times have you done something expecting one thing but getting something returned that after a while the immense amount of disappointment, the immense amount of hurt that you experience causes you to say, you know what, I'm not trying anymore. I'm not trying anymore. But you see, in order to determine the validity of an invitation, you've got to look at Who's the one inviting? You know what? In the end, man is going to let you down. Even the ones closest to you. Your parents are going to disappoint and hurt you. Your siblings are going to disappoint and hurt you. Your children are going to disappoint and hurt you. Your husband is going to disappoint and hurt you. Your wife's going to disappoint and hurt you. Your boss, your cousins, your neighbor, whomever. The guy on the street. They're going to disappoint and hurt you. So in the end, yes, there are humans out there that have proven and warranted enough that when they say something, you can believe them. But in the end, it's still a human. But when we look at who's talking, we're looking at somebody that is not bound by the limitations of a human aspect. But we're talking to somebody who is literally the Son of God. In fact, earlier on in that same prayer, he had declared that, he and the Father were one. That I am the Father. The Father. We're, we're, you're, if you're looking at me, you're not just looking at a man. When you see me, you see God Himself, the everlasting, the Creator, the 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 the, the Architect of the universe. I am He. Numerous times Jesus would use the word "I am," not "I am." You fill in the blank. It's just literally "I am," which goes back to what God had declared who he was when they asked what's your name he said I am he just I am Jesus was the I am made flesh why because when he spoke he was not speaking from a standpoint of well you know give it a shot I'll try my best but it's a guarantee Jesus is Christ when Jesus speaks and he gives an invitation he gives a promise it's a guarantee guarantee now, I'll put a clause in the contract because I know some of you are arguing, well, well I've tried things and it didn't work out. Ah, whoa, 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 whoa. Time, time, time. Time out. It's a guarantee if you do it his way. It's not a guarantee if you do it your way. I will say there is a clause in the contract. If you read the fine print before you sign up and go, yep, I'll take that. You know, Jesus is promising. Oh, I like that. There's a very, 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 very important clause in the contract. In fact, I think it's like the only clause in the contract. I've read the contract several times. There's only one clause. That is, this promise is only uh, available and only uh, 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 um, valid to those who will follow my explicit instructions and will do it my way. If you choose to do it your way or to try to change it and fit it to you, they, you will void the promise. So when Jesus says, come to me, all that you are heavy, uh, a burden and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, that's not saying, come to me how you want to come to me, but it says, come to me, and as you come to me, you're going to come to me, and I'm going to show you what it means to come to me. So first of all, we have to understand there's an, that, that we're coming to him his way, not our way. Now, some of you don't know what that way is, so we got to start where we're at. But ultimately, we got to look at who's the one giving the promise. And when we look at this, we find very three important aspects. Number one, the one that is speaking is able to do what he's promised. Can he give me rest? Can he fulfill? You know, we know that, right? You see the advertisements. You know, you know, if you invest in the bank, in your bank, and you get interest, that's nothing. If you invest in, in the stock market, it's follow. But if you give your money to me, I'll give you quadruple on your return. We go, uh... Really? Because you're saying something and you're promising something. I'm not sure you can deliver on what you're promising. Unfortunately, if you go back and you look at the Ponzi schemes of this country and the millions of dollars that have been stolen from innocent people, they believed that somebody could deliver what that person had no ability to do, yet they still trusted them with their money, ended up losing their money because that person said, I can deliver this to you, but ultimately I can't. Is it on the ability? Jesus is not running a Ponzi scheme here. He's not saying, hey, you know what? Come to me and I'll give you rest. 
At least I'll try to give you rest. I'm not sure I can do it. But number one, we have to ask the question, is the one talking able to do what he promises? Absolutely. Can Jesus Christ give you rest today? I'm telling you this not out of theory. I'm not telling you this out of some book I read. I'm telling you this because I have experienced it and you've come too late to tell me it can't happen. I can say here with without one hesitation, he absolutely, yes, he can take it to the bank. And there are literally people watching today that could say the same thing. There are people that are watching today that can say, yes, I can testify that Jesus Christ can give you rest. So number one, you have to say, is the one talking able? Yes. Number two, you have to talk about, is he faithful to do? Is he able to do his promises? Check. Is he faithful to do his promises? Meaning, is he an Indian giver, right? Does he give something to you? And then when you get there, he goes, yeah, I could do it, want to, but I'm going to not, I'm going to take it back. No, God doesn't do that. He doesn't play with your emotions. He doesn't toy with you. He doesn't bait you along only to pull the curtain, to pull the, the, the rug underneath your feet and leave you going, okay, what just happened? He's able and he's faithful. And the final thing, he's willing. He's able. He's faithful. He's willing. He's willing to do it if you give him a chance. Can he do it? Is he able? Yes. Is he going to do it? Yes, he's faithful. Is he willing to follow through? Absolutely. So now that we've established who's talking, and we established the fact that the person who's talking is a, is a valid, foolproof stamp, take it to the bank every time, promise, then we can go and find out, okay, if he's telling me he can do this thing, then I need to find out who is eligible for this, right? You, you've always started saying, you know, the, 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 there's always a fine line. You can win this, but it's only for, you know, you look at the eligibility. Well, it's only for a certain amount of people. Or or you see in a commercial, you know, like uh, prices and participation may vary, uh, Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico, right? It's always at the end there, there's a clause of, it's only available to this, you know, if you're, it's only available to this group or to that group or to this bracket or to that bracket. There's always clauses in the contract. So now that I know that he can and he's able and he's faithful and he's willing, I got that part down, check. Now I've got to find out, am I somebody who fits that category? Am I eligible for this promise? Or is this promise only for a select few? Is this, is this promise, it sounds good, but it's only for the insiders, for the elite, for the super spiritual, for the church, at, for the people that always are at church, for the people that live a perfect life, for people that are just super Christians. But, you know, I'm none of those. So am I even eligible to get this promise? I, I, you know, I'm messed up. I, my life's a mess. My, you know, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with life. I'm, I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with hurt. I'm dealing with disappointment. I'm dealing with all these things. And I don't know if I'm even even eligible for that. Well, let's find out who's eligible because we've established the one telling, the one doing it, absolutely 100% got that. Let's find out who's available. Notice, Jesus addresses the labor, those who are laboring and heavy laden. Come unto me, all you are labor and heavy laden. Now notice this, because this is important. He doesn't invite the poor. He didn't say, come unto me, all of you are poor, and I will give you rest. Because you know why? Is it, it's possible to be poor in this life, but even poorer in eternity. It's possible to be poor in this life, but be rich in eternity. Your economic status in this life does not determine your eternal destination. You can't buy your way into heaven. And you can't earn your way into heaven through your financial means. Because in the end, it doesn't matter if you have one penny or a billion dollars. When you lay on that deathbed, we're all equal. We're all equal. So this invitation is not to the poor. Because we often think of, well, Jesus has come and he's come to the lowly and to the poor. And so I'm not really, I've got money. I've got some resources. I'm not poor. Well, it's not for the poor. This doesn't just say to the poor. In fact, it's not even inviting the poor because your financial resources aren't really what God's talking about. Number two, he's not talking about the sick and afflicted. Now, this is a huge point. 
Because we all have afflictions in our life. We all have things in our life that we don't like, we want to get rid of. But here's the point. Jesus made this statement one day that's a really powerful statement. He said, you know what? If your eye offends you, cut it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your leg offends cut off. When you think about the barbaric nature of that, that if your eye offends you, you literally, I mean, listen, folks, i got to be frank with you. That's just a very freakish sounding thing to me. Literally, Jesus is saying to me that if my I offend you to cut it out. Now, do I think Jesus was literally expecting me to cut my eye out because I was offended? And I say offended not because I was hurt, but something that I saw caused things in me that should not be there, that I should cut it out. Because if that's the case, I don't know of any person that wouldn't be blind today. I mean, I would, I would have been blind, but by the time I was a teenager, I'd have been completely blind. So if that's the aspect we're supposed to cut out our eyes, I, I would have been blind really early on in life. And 99% of you would have been the same way. Some of you may have been good enough to last into your 20s, but you ain't making it out of your 20s with both eyes, if that's the case. So Jesus makes this statement, this crazy statement, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut off. And then he finishes the statement because he says, listen, here's the problem. It's better to go to heaven with one eye than to be lost in eternity with two eyes. Now, that gives us context. And what it means by this is, is that there are some things in my life that I will have to deal with, but that are not going to keep me out of heaven. There's some things in my life I don't like. There's some things in my life that are there, but those things are not eternal. They're temporal. If you're here today and uh, we have an awesome man, Brother Rajiv, who's here. Brother Rajiv, love you. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Sunday morning. He's an awesome guy. Brother Rajiv is, is blind. But he's an awesome guy. Loves the Lord. Growing in Jesus. It's awesome to see that. But you know what's awesome about Brother Rajiv? Even though he cannot see, there's coming today, Brother Rajiv. I know you can hear what I'm saying. There's coming a day, Brother Rajiv, that when you make it to G with heaven and you walk with Jesus, he's going to give you eyesight and you're going to be able to see him for the first time. You can't see him now with your physical eye, but I know you can see him with your heart. But there's coming the day, the Bible says you're going to get a new body and you're going to be able to see God with your eyes. It's awesome. What an amazing thing. We have others that deal with physical limitations. We have had, we have people that are, that join us that cannot hear, that cannot see, that cannot walk, that cannot function as, as, as a, as a normal body or human body should function. They have limitations, but those limitations don't keep them from connecting to Jesus because it's coming today. They're going to get a new body. They're going to get a new, a, a new function. That's awesome. But Jesus said this, Hey, you know what? That's not going to keep you from getting to me. He didn't say, come on, to me, come on to me, all of you that are afflicted, that are broken, that can't make it. He, no, because he said, you know what? That's not the thing that defines you. So he goes back and he says, come unto me, all that you are laboring and are heavy laden. All of you that are heavy, burden, laboring and heavy, heavy burden. Notice this. He is talking about the burdensome labor. This is a heavy laboring, a laboring. It comes from the idea of a toiling. It talks about the exhaustion of labor, the effort. I'll give it to you in another sense. It talks about the hardness, the difficulty, the toil, the weariness of life. I mean, if you're not weary of life at this point in time, after this year of 2020, if you're not weary of life, then you better not let us know that because all of us are going to be extremely jealous of you. Because by this point, we are all getting to the point we are fed up. We're weary. We're tired. And then on top of that, we have such of the animosity building in our country through a political, socio-economic, this this moral divide. There's so much just... <laughs> Facebook is filled with divisiveness. The news is filled with divisiveness. It's constantly... If you're not weary of this, 
If you're not even on top of that, if all of that, you've got your own issues, you've got struggles, you've got difficulties in your home, in your marriage, in your work, and things going on in your own personal life, there's a point, and Jesus is talking about this effort. Those of you that are laboring, they're toiling, you're weary, that are working, you're working, you're tirelessly working, it's hard. There's another side to this that kind of takes not only the working, but those that are just weary from trying hard. You're trying to serve God. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to please God. You're trying to do these things. That's who it is. And when you make that statement, it doesn't leave anybody out. Because all of us are at one point in time. If not now, you have been. And if you are not now, you're going to be. There comes a point in time for all of us. We get to a point where we are weary. It literally talks about this word here. literally talks about toil that reduces strength and pains and trouble and weariness. It meaning it's literally the, the, the labor that 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 pull that zaps our strength. We're mentally and physically and emotionally weary. How many of you go to bed at night, you wake up after a night of sleep, but you wake up and you're just as exhausted when you get up because it's not a physical exhaustion, it's a mental, it's a mental exhaustion. You are absolutely weary. And then you've got this other thing where we have this constant Pain. We're always we look around as pain. We're reminded by pain, pain, pain. And then we've got trouble. Trouble on every side. Trouble on our left. Trouble on our right. Trouble in front. Trouble behind. No matter where we go, it's trouble, trouble, trouble. And all of this, there's this weariness. When Jesus uses this word labor, it literally is speaking of that condition. That everywhere you go, something, if it's not in one aspect of its life, you know, I've used this illustration before, but it's very much like the whack-a-mole game that used to be in the arcades or at Chuck E. Cheese or wherever it would be. Literally, it's the game with the big mallet and the and the little moles that would uh, bounce up in random, the six little moles, and they would bounce up, you hit one, and then the other one bounce up, you hit another one, another one bounce up. And again, you've heard me say this, but for most of you... Uh, that the game is built to cause you to fail. There's going to be a point in time where in the beginning you've got it. Boom, 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 boom. But then eventually you get two to pop up and you go boom, boom. And then boom, boom. But then the game is built to eventually where you cannot hit them fast enough before the little buzzard goes off. Because it's built to cause you to fail. Can I tell you this? Life is built to cause you to to fail. I, I'm, I, that's not a very Hollywoodish interpretation of life. Hi, life is supposed to be about love. Life is supposed to be about happiness. Life is supposed to be about retiring with my significant other and going and traveling the world or sitting on a beach somewhere or sitting on a rocking chair on my front porch watching my grandkids play out in the yard. That's what life's supposed to be about. Life's supposed to be about being able to experience it buy things and go that's what life's supposed to be about but you're wrong my friend life is built to cause you to fail jesus said in this in this world you shall have tribulation you and that word tribulation literally means pain problems pressures difficulties in this life you're going to have stuff happen it doesn't matter how much money you have it doesn't matter how much money you don't have it doesn't matter your education your background your skin color it doesn't matter literally uh your physical uh, attributes none of that matters life is built to overwhelm you and fail no matter who you are there's going to be a point in time where life is going to become too great for you to do on your own and we are not built to handle all that life has to throw at us you're not built i hate to tell you that well i i don't want to be weak i gotta be honest with you let's just get to the punch today you're too weak to handle all of life i don't care some of you are like i'm you know especially men right we're like i'm man i'm strong i take care of life myself Come on, really? You're not. You're just as weak. You just hide it better. Because you know what? In the end, when it's all stripped and down, your strength and your ability to handle life is going to get pushed to the brink. And it doesn't matter how big and bold you think you are. I got this. When it's all stripped away, you're all stripped down. We weren't built to handle life. You know, it's amazing to me. When I look at who we are as human beings, 
I, I don't think we were built for the life we live. Meaning from this standpoint, I don't think we were built for the fast pace life that we currently are involved in. Our human psyche, our human ability, our emotions, the way we process things, how we look at things, it wasn't built to handle social media. Social media has literally, there's a thing in social media called persuasive technology. And that literally means the ability through psychology and technology, blending those two aspects together that can cause behavioral changes based off the desire of the one who's creating the program. So meaning I can create a computer program that can change your behavior to my desired outcome. We're not built for that. Some of you that grew up with no technology, you grew up, I mean, some of you were, you grew up either because you didn't have the means or you grew up, you weren't, you weren't in the era of technology. You grew up maybe in the sixties and seventies and, 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 and maybe in the fifties and, and it wasn't until the eighties that arcade games and games and that, and, and, and that kind of technology came. You, you, you grew up in the age of three television stations and they all went off the air at, at night by playing the national anthem. You didn't grow up with, 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 with cable TV, with 752,000 channels, with, you know, the other night was so funny. We had a few moments to sit down and uh, we browsed through Netflix, Amazon. Um, we've got, you know, all these different options to watch. And it literally, we spent 30 minutes just trying to find something to watch. And it wasn't because we didn't have options. The problem is we don't know what to pick because there's too many options. We weren't built for that. You know, it's so funny. When you think about this, it's really kind of sad. We work like a dog to a lot of ways. Some of you work your rear ends off. Forgive me for using that language, but you work hard. Not everybody, but some of you work hard. Your job's very difficult, stressful, and you work hard for three weeks out of the year that you can relax does that really sound like life? And then you you work 30, 40, 50 years, whatever it might be, of life, of effort, so that you can get to the end and retire to do nothing. And most of the time, people that retire to do nothing find out that nothing is really overrated, so they end up going back to work. Oh, I can't wait to retire so I can do nothing. And they do nothing for a little while like this. Nothing is way overrated. I want to go back to work. We're not built for the type of life that's been promised to us. It's amazing. You know what? You think about it. Not everybody. But some people, their idea, they work. They work, they work for the idea of being able to spend two weeks going off to the, to the mountains, getting a cabin or a tent by the stream, and sitting there and just enjoying nature. You know, the idea is literally, man, I, I, uh, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to, you know, what, what a beautiful would it be to be on some kind of desolate beach. Sitting there on a desolate beach with a chair, watching the waves crash in. Listening to the peace of the birds chirping. The slapping of the waves. The gentle blow of the wind. That sounds like a vacation of a lifetime. Nobody around, just me and maybe my family, and I'm sitting there enjoying just nothing. Or killing wood to go in the mountains and walk in the woods and explore nature. When you think about that, as awesome as one part of sound, it really you could have done that a thousand years ago. What have we really accomplished then with all of our technology? Where have we really gotten to? Have we really advanced? We've advanced to the point where do we des our greatest desire is to go back to the way things were a thousand years ago. Boy, I'd love to go to a beach and just sit. Now, I know some of you aren't like that. You want to go where the action is. Go to New York City, the city that never sleeps. You want to go in the action. I get that. But a lot of you, your idea of a perfect vacation is to go somewhere alone, away from everything. What have we accomplished? Doesn't that kind of show you how funny all this is? We have advanced so far to really gain so little. And in the end, we're overwhelmed by weariness. Do you know there are still tribes left, very few, but there are still tribes left in 
this world that are very remote and several left, very few, but there are several left that have been untouched by outside influences. In fact, I believe it's in the Indian Ocean. There's a an island in the Indian Ocean that's populated by a tribe that the Indian government has made it illegal for you to go onto this island because no outsiders have been on this island has been kept and preserved as this one tribe. In fact, um, when they, when helicopters or other things have tried to fly by, they throw wooden spears. These tribe, tribal men throw wooden spears. That's how sort of isolated. Do you know what? If you're a psychologist, you probably would not find much work on those islands. Because you know what? I don't think if you really found their life, they would be inundated and they would find the same overcoming burdens of the nine to five, the weariness of all the stuff that's going on. They wouldn't, I don't think they would be as inundated as we are. I don't know if they'd be overwhelmed by paying mortgage and rent and retirement and banks and interest and school and all the stuff that we're overwhelmed by. But in fact, we are overwhelmed by all of it. So when Jesus is speaking of this burden heavy laden, he's really talking about you and I today. You and I today that are dealing with so many things. This word over this heavy laden literally is talking about a beast that's over this, an animal that's that's burdened to the point it's so heavy that the animal can't even walk or a boat that is so uh, that's put got so much stuff put on it that the boat is actually sinking because the boat cannot cannot float anymore because the weight pushing down is greater than the weight that's keeping it up and is that not describing us today our boats are so overwhelmed because we have more stuff pushing us down than we have stuff pushing us up and the weight Pushing down is greater than the weight pushing up. So most of us feel like we're sinking. Let me make the statement to you today. You will never come to Jesus until you feel your need. You will never come to Jesus until you feel your need. And I mean by that, you will never come to Jesus until you realize how much you need him. If you still think you can find the magic cure to life, that you're the one that's going to discover somehow the the hack to life that nobody's ever figured out, you're the one of all the billions of people that have lived on this earth and the 7.8 billion that are living on this earth, you and you alone have figured out the magic cure to all of this outside of God, you'll never come to him. But when you realize the futile attempts of your effort and you realize the need for God, when you find your need for God, then your coming to God becomes an automatic reaction. So we understand, number one, who's talking. We understand that the invitation is broad and sweeping. It doesn't exclude anyone. It is probably one of the most inclusive messages of all the scriptures. Come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. That doesn't leave anybody out. Nowadays, kids in middle school, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old, are overwhelmed with life to the point that they're committing suicide because they're overwhelmed. And now when they're 8, when people are 89 years old, there's no, there's no human that is excluded from this invitation because we all deal with this to one way or another. And when finally you have to look at the word, and what the invitation is. And he said, come unto me. Because I love that word. I love the word come. Because that word come is full of so much grace and mercy and love and encouragement and kindness. Man, in that one word come, there's grace, mercy, love, forgiveness. All wrapped up in that one word. Notice, Jesus did not say, Go and get ready, all of you that are heavy, burdened, that labor and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, hey, you know what? Go find a church. Go find a priest. Go find a religion for all of you that are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, come. He doesn't point you Anywhere else but him. He doesn't point you to religion. doesn't point you to a doctrine. He doesn't point you to a church. He doesn't point you to a priest. He doesn't point you to some kind of ideology, some kind of uh, 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 a humanistic 
thought process. He just points you to Him. Come to me. Make it about me. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a church. It's me. It's me. Come to me. He didn't say wait. So we know. Right, let's go back. He didn't say go get ready. Go make yourself ready. Go go clean yourself up. Go Go get it all done. He doesn't say, hey, go. He doesn't send you somewhere. I know he sent the the, the, the leopards the, to go to the temple to be cleansed. But in this situation, he doesn't say, hey, I'm sending you to some spiritual people that will help you. No, he said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you to me. And he didn't say, wait. He didn't say, hey, wait, wait. Wait till the right time. Wait till you're ready. Wait till I'm ready. Wait till all the stars align. Wait until there is uh, there is literally a point where you finally can do nothing. You, I want you to stand and wait. Wait for me. Wait till I deem you worthy. Wait till it gets really bad. He says, no, no. When you're ready, I'm ready. When you say yes, I'm already coming. All I want you to do is take one step. Because you take one step, I'm coming after you. You take one, I'm taking ten. He doesn't say wait. And finally, in this, we find such a beautiful description of Jesus Christ in this one word, come. Because this one word, come, is a message of mercy. Where he says, come, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, come. Number one here is a word of grace. It's a word of grace. He says, come to me. I'm here waiting for you. And if you come to me, I'm going to empower you. That's what grace does. It's the empowerment. I'm going to empower you to come. Once you take a step, you see, grace is very much like a ship. A ship cannot be steered unless it is underway. Meaning a ship tied to the dock cannot be steered. You can move the rudder all you want, but it's not going to change course. The only way for a ship to be steered and changed is there has to be movement. Water passing up underneath the keel, hitting that rudder and causing that rudder to cause the, the, the ship to change direction. That's very much like grace. Grace is God's empowerment for us to become and do what we can't do on our own. But grace only works if there's something moving. So what's that moving? It's the come. Come to me. Come to me, all you are, are labored and heavy laden. So come to me, you're in this track, you're in the labor and heavy laden track. But if you come to me, if you get something flowing, my grace is going to shift you to the rest. My grace won't do it for you, but my grace is going to empower you to do what you can't do on your own. You can't take yourself and cause yourself to rest. You can go to a bottle, you can go to a pill, you can go to an escape, but that's not rest, that's temporary relief. But he said, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. Meaning, if you start moving, you're going to give me something to work with that I can then steer you. And in this word come, there's such kind, beautiful, loving encouragement. I can't see Jesus saying, hey, come! Hey, you come to me! You better come over here! I mean, we've all done it, right? I mean, I wish I could say I was a perfect parent. I'm far from it. I've said that to my kids. Hey, listen to me. I'm talking, get over here, come over here. You come when I tell you to come. I want you to come over here. We've, we've done that. We've said that. We expect that. But Jesus is not saying, hey, you, listen, you, buddy, you, I know, yeah, yeah, you, you that are all tired and all, all covered up with life, I, you know, you, cause you're so stinking hard headed and stubborn. Hey, you, you come over here. He doesn't say that. He's not saying it that way. Literally, I can see Almost when I hear these words, I see the gentle, kind, beautiful face of a loving father that's looking down and saying, would you come? Come to me. I don't even think he yelled these words. I think it was a whisper. I think it was a words of such sincerity and magnitude. He didn't even feel the need to yell them. It was, come, would you come? Come to me. All you that are labor, heavy laden. It was gentle, it was kind, it was merciful, it was gracious. It wasn't, come to me, but it was gentle. Do you have this heavenly father that's saying, come? And what's the promise he's given us? The promise he's given us is he will give rest. Sooner or later, life's going to become too heavy for us to bear. And he wants to give you rest. Notice the next verse, Jesus says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. 
And then he finishes it because I will give you rest for your souls. So the first description of rest, second time Jesus says rest, he adds the word soul. And the word soul there connotates two things. Number one, the word soul is not talking about the eternal being that we talk about, your soul, one that lives forever, right? That your soul is going to spend in heaven or hell. That's not the soul that's being described here. The word soul is talking about your heart. The word soul there is the seat of your feelings, desires, affections, And then the other side of that, your soul is talking about your mind. So Jesus is saying, come to me, all thee to labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your weary heart and your weary mind. So many of us live with mental torture. So many of us have so much weariness, mental torture, mental weariness. So many of us wake up in the middle of the night, overwhelmed by thoughts. We go to bed overwhelmed by thoughts. We wake up overwhelmed by thoughts. We are mentally, wearily, we're constantly bombarded in our mind to the point we just want to say, can I just turn the switch off? But he said, listen, if you come to me, if you come to me, if you come to me, not a philosophy, come to me, I'll give you rest for your mind, for your heart. You know, Whether or not you believe this or not is very simple to find out. Here's the test. And this is it. I'm done after this. You say, well, I believe that. I I believe what you're saying. Well, let's find out the test. And the test is this. When you're in trouble, when you're overwhelmed, when you're weary, when you're at the brink of giving up, who do you run to? Who do you run to? Look at your own life for a second. Take, a, take an inventory. When you are overwhelmed, when you are in a point of it feels like you don't know if you're going to make it another moment, who do you run to? Do you run to a friend? Do you run to your spouse? Do you run to Facebook? Do you run to television? Do you run to a bottle? Do you run to a pill? Do you run to another escape? Do you run to uh, pleasure? Do you run? Do you run to what do you run to? Who do you run to? Because what and who you run to will determine if you really believe this. Because really answer, the only answer is run to the Father. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe. When you're in trouble, when you're afraid, who do you run to? When you're overwhelmed, who do you run to? Do you run to the church, to the preacher? Do you run to your neighbor, to your friend? Do you run somewhere else? All those may sound like good answers, but they're not the answer. It's to run to the Father. He's the one. I didn't give you. Don't run to me because I'm not the one that promised you rest. I can't give you rest. Because, you know, you run to me, guess what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to say, you know what? You you stopped one, one stop too short. Get back on the bus. Keep going because you need to run to him. I'm not trying to point you to Antioch West today. I'm not trying to point you to myself. I'm not trying to point you to some kind of doctrine or theology. I want to point you to Jesus because he's the one that promised that. Would you run to the Father today? See, how do I do that? It's very simple, really. It's not overcomplicated. Running to the Father is simply acknowledging that he's the one to run to. Running to the Father is simply acknowledging, like I started off, you'll never be, you'll never respond to Jesus' invitation until you feel and realize the need you have for him. But once you recognize that and you realize, wait a minute, I've been running to this. I've been running to that. I've been running after a dream. I've been running after security. I've been running after this. I've been running after that. I've been running to this, running, 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 running. But I've been running in the wrong direction. I've been running to the wrong things. But today I recognize I need to run to Jesus. Run to the Father. Very simple to do that, and it's very easy to start today, and it's very simple to even start this moment, and that's by simply closing your not your eyes and just saying to your father, God, I need you. And telling your father exactly what's happening in your life. God, I'm overwhelmed, I'm tired, I'm dealing with hurt dealing with depression. God, you, I'm, I'm going through. This person hurt me. This situation's going on. I'm overwhelmed. Tell God exactly what's happening. You know what, South? I don't have my phone with me right now. 
as funny as this sounds, I'm going to give you a challenge today. For some of you go, I don't know if I can talk to God like that. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pretend for a second. If you give it, give me a minute. I'm almost done. I want you to pretend I got this little uh, remote here, but let's just pretend this little remote is a, um, is a cell phone. I know it sounds goofy, but sometimes you got to get a little simple childlike in your faith to connect to Jesus. He's not complicated. He's not some mystical, complicated being. Here's what I want you to do. Okay. For those of you that just, I don't know if I can do that. Here's what I want you to try. Now do that. You, you can do it two ways. Uh, first way you can do it, get alone by yourself. I'm not saying do this around anybody. Do get, get by yourself. So do two ways, either get a physical phone or get a Bluetooth or headphones, something that you use to talk to other people. So maybe you're a physical handing a phone. Maybe you're like, you've got the Apple earbuds. Maybe you've got the, you know, headphones connected to core. Maybe you've got the, you know, you've got the, uh, uh, telemarketer uh, Bluetooth thing that comes around to you. Maybe you, whatever you've got. I mean, you might have some kind of crazy device that has, you know, whatever you use to talk on the phone, get that out. Seriously, get it out, put it on, try it, or pick up your phone. And here's what I want you to do. I know this sounds silly, but try it. Just try Just try it. What else do you have to lose? How's your way working? So you might as well try this. It can't, it can't be any worse. Oh, I, I can't do that. That's, that's too beneath me. You know what? The Bible says the first thing you got to do to come to Jesus is you got to humble yourself. So you know what? You may need a little humbling aspect. Pick up your phone. Pick up your Bluetooth, your earbuds, and pick it up. Hey, Jesus. It's Joel. Um, do you have a minute? I'd like to talk. Um, I'm really overwhelmed right now. I'm really going through a lot of stuff that I don't really have the answer to. And I'm, I'm trying to believe that you're the one that can hear me. But right now, I don't know because I've never truly experienced that. You, I've only been told what you can do. And I've also been told that you're up there, you know, judging me and ready to condemn me because I'm not perfect. Because, you know, God, I'm not perfect. I've done so many things that are just so wrong. I know they're wrong. But God, I, I need you. And um, I can't do this. And I'm overwhelmed and I'm weary and I'm beaten down. Would you help me today? Can you help me? I know what was told to me today. I know what was said to me today, but I want to believe it. But Lord, I don't know how it's supposed to happen. But can you show me? Can you? You know what? I guarantee you, it's so, you know, we think of go to Jesus, pray like, okay. Omnipotent, holy God, I stand before you today as your humble creation, asking you, O omnipotent creator, to speak to me now. I stand to you with such piety of heart. I stand before you with such humility of spirit. And I ask you, O great heavenly Lord, gracious Savior, mighty one, to have mercy upon your humble servant today and bring me rest for the weariness of my travels upon this pilgrim's progress that I have walked in and you have bestowed upon me today. Almighty God, amen. You know what God's going to do with that? He's going to go, would they please stop talking? But you know what? Pick up your phone, say, hey, hey, Jesus, do you have a moment? Can we talk? You say, well, that sounds silly. You know what? <sighs> Try it and then come back to me and tell me it was stupid. Try it and then tell me if it was stupid. Don't knock it until you tried it. Don't say, well, I'm so dumb, I can't, you know, just try it. That's all I'm saying, try it. I got to get it in the camera. I got to pull you close. Try it. What can you lose? But you try it, I guarantee you're going to feel the closeness of a heavenly father. Run to the father. Run to the father. And you will find rest for your heart and for your mind. It's a promise. Father, I thank you for your words today. I thank you for what you have promised in your word. But Lord, it's just words on a page if we don't put it in action. Because you said faith requires us to speak and faith requires us to do. 
So Lord, even if we say we believe it, it doesn't work until we speak it and do it. Other than that, Lord, it's just a word on a page. It's just words on a page. But Lord, these are not words on a page. These are words written and spoken by you. They're a promise that still rings true today as they did 2,000 years ago when they were spoken. Father, I speak that faith would be released in our heart today that we would talk to you. We would call out to you, even though it sounds silly and goofy and it doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do. But God, you are as close as the mention of your name. Sometimes, God, all we have to do is just say your name, Jesus, and that's all it takes. So I pray, Lord, today that your rest would be released upon us, that those of us that are overwhelmed, we don't know where to go to, we don't want to run, know where to run to, we can run to the Father. Lord, we run to you today. We run to you because you are a good Father. In Jesus' name, would you run to the Father today? He's waiting. He's looking. He's searching. Run to the Father in Jesus' name.